0: Today I'm welcoming back a favorite guest on the podcast, and that's Dr. Brooke Kalanick, and she is a licensed naturopath doctor and functional medicine physician, and an author of the brand new book *Hangry: Five Simple Steps to Balance Your Hormones and Restore Your Joy*. And it's a wonderful book. Congratulations, Dr. Brooke!
1: Thank you. Yes, it is out. Yeah, June.
0: And I think everybody needs to get a copy because there's just so much information in here and a four-week plan to kind of reset your hormones, and it's so applicable for women with PCOS. Um, But before we move um, forward, I just want listeners to know that you were on my podcast uh, a couple years ago. It's episode 60, How to Balance PCOS Exercise and Hormones. And I really encourage listeners to go back and listen to that episode because you really are a a wonderful expert on how to exercise with PCOS. I know you have PCOS yourself and you've kind of figured this out, um, the formula out. And we talk a lot about um, exercising to avoid adrenal exhaustion in that in that episode, and although you have a lot of fantastic information about exercise in your book and tons of how-to, there's lots of pictures on proper form and exercises to do, we're we're not going to cover that um, as much because there's a lot more info that I want to dive into in your book. Um, So I just want to encourage listeners to go and review that information in Podcast 60. But I do want to touch on one aspect of exercise that you talk about, and that is walking. And I I wrote about in my book that when um, I I was running so much to try to manage my weight um, early on when I uh, had PCOS, that I ended up with shin splints and had to start walking because I just couldn't run anymore. Uh, and I was amazed that I actually started losing weight when I started walking instead of (laughs) running. But um, you talk a lot about walking in your book. It's part of your reset program. Um, So can you kind of tell us why you like walking so much?
1: Yeah, well it's it's funny when we were working so I wrote the book with my um, business partner, my uh podcast co-host, um Sarah Fergoso. So she is a gym owner and a personal trainer, ex-CrossFitter. So we we're kind of this blend of the clinical side and the practical side. And um with our program there was we have what we call our five habits. And one the first it's 54321 is the structure. And um the fifth one is or the one that goes with the five is five walks per week. And as we were getting the book edited, you know, by someone who doesn't really know our field or work with women the way that we do. Um, She had so many questions about the walking. She's like, I don't understand why you guys are recommending this. And um, we were like, well, so many of us are a trying to maximize our time. And so adding in, you know, a 45 minute, Walk tends to be something women are like. I don't know if I have time for that, but you know, like you said, when we recorded um, the episode in the past, we talked a lot about you know, women with PCOS and exercise, and where do we get it wrong, and I think. Many of us, not every woman with PCOS struggles with trying to lose weight or maintain their weight, um, but to some degree, we typically usually struggle with both insulin resistance and inflammation, and walking is great for both of those things, so we've got good research showing you know, women with autoimmunity or inflammatory diseases do better, they feel better, And their um, markers of inflammation improve with more walking. And it tends to be an exercise that doesn't totally wipe us out. Now, there is going to be like the most inflamed, adrenally exhausted, low thyroid woman that even walking for 45 minutes might be too taxing for her. But for most people, for most women, it's going to be a good, you know, way to move. It's a, you know, we are bipeds. We are meant to be walking and we sit a lot. You know, I live in New York City, so I walk quite a bit. just most of us do just kind of in the run of things but that's not the way most of us live right and I still sit too much too so it's a good way to like adjunct or to kind of counteract the sitting for sure which we know to be so detrimental for our posture and causes lots of issues so it's really great um exercise that doesn't usually perturb our hormones, so that's a real advantage, and when we talk, when you and I talked before, you know, again, when we're struggling to lose weight or we're struggling to maintain our weight and frustrated with some of the things that happen with PCOS, you know, the advice is typically to eat less and exercise more, and that can really quickly exacerbate any cortisol issues we have or create them and you know i think what happens you know when you're a woman with pcos is you're seen as someone that has maybe some insulin issues definitely some estrogen progesterone issues but we sometimes fail to remember that all women have all of those glands right we all have ovaries and a thyroid and adrenals and just because you're a woman with pcos doesn't mean we don't need to take into account any of those other hormone issues we have and honor them as well with the low thyroid and low cortisol being, you know, the most delicate of those and the ones I think we have to honor first, even before we get to any of that PCOS specific stuff, like doing more exercise, getting more muscle mass, all of those things to help with the insulin resistance. So walking is something, you know, we recommend doing kind of as much as you could tolerate. Five walks a week is um, kind of the baseline. And again, because it tends to really help with some of the big problems and doesn't exacerbate some of those more delicate hormones and I think walking as well can be used when you do want to do a little bit more but you don't want to run yourself into the ground like with extra cardio um, like the running so let's say you had you know you're doing your regular walks but let's say like as life goes right you have a meal that's maybe more carbohydrate or more calories or something that you're like I know this doesn't really work well for me and instead of you know just feeling guilty about it, we can take a little walk, and that is something that can really put that fuel to use and not exacerbate any insulin resistance, and I like to use stuff like that when we've when we got something like PCOS that is, you know, a chronic condition that we want to, you know, not be at the mercy of it, and we really want to have some tools that help us manage those things, because let's face it, we're not all going to be on some sort of perfect diet every day, 365 days of the year, like life happens, right? It's your birthday, or you're going out with your girlfriends, or you're on vacation. And sometimes, you know, we tend to think of you know, using exercise as a punishment for eating, and that's definitely not what this is about. It's not like, oh, I went out with my girlfriends and had whatever, and now I have to work it off. It's not that. It's one of those, like, long-term things, knowing that a meal that's higher in carbs or higher in calories or higher in something that causes us inflammation could be something we could really feel, you know, not good with for several days, and a little bit of exercise, like a good walk, can actually be a tool that is kind of, I think, like a long-term PCOS strategy.
0: Yeah, and it, it's not really about calories in, calories out, it's about taking the walk after the meal to sort of help with the insulin um, sensitivity, I think.
1: Absolutely, yeah, getting those, you know, just putting that meal to use, right, like <laughs> letting it get yeah. into your muscles, and you know, exercise is one of our best tools with insulin resistance, because it does improve insulin sensitivity, you don't even need insulin when you're exercising to get glucose out of your bloodstream and into a cell, so it is a super good tool. I think so many of us that turn to exercise as a management whether it's stress management or you know managing our diet we we can overdo it and walking is one of those things that tends to keep us out of hot water with that
0: Mm. I think a lot of women with PCOS tend to be sort of that type a like really driven and do tend to overdo it Um. And so the other thing is um with walking do you have to commit to 45 minutes or do can you still derive benefits from say a 15 minute walk after lunch and maybe 15 minute after dinner
1: yeah. So I think that with the walking, as long as it's not causing, you know, you to feel wiped out, which again, most women it's not, it's one of the ones you can kind of do, you know, the more is better. So mm-hmm. ideally, you know, getting in an hour a day, 45 minutes a day is, is great. And I tend to do it. Um, you know, I take my kids to school and tend to walk so fasted in the morning after, you know, I'm taking care of my kids. And that's because that's where my hormones are at right now. You know, a couple years ago, a fasted walk wasn't in the cards for me because it I had more adrenal issues, Um, but that's what I do now, but if you, you know, the best you can do is 20 minutes after lunch, 20 minutes after dinner, or split that hour into two, it's better than not doing it. It really is something, I think it's a problem worth solving when it comes to your schedule, you know, do it when you can, as you can, and I consider those post-meal walks to be, I mean, that's like medicine, right, that is literally helping your hormones um, put to use the fuel that you just ate, so uh, those could be bonuses, or again, if that's the only time you can do it, I think it's all, it's all helpful, and the biggest complaint we hear from women, well, sometimes it's that they don't think it's going to be effective, they're like, well, it's just not hard enough, it's just not intense enough, Um, but it's kind of accomplishing a different purpose, right, and um, the other argument is the time, and I think it's, again, a problem worth solving to try to find some time that 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 can fit into our day. Mm
0: -hmm. And you you mentioned being low cortisol and low thyroid, and I think a lot of women really struggle with knowing what their hormonal issue is, and it's hard for them to get the test, advocate, you know, they try to advocate for the testing that they need at their doctor's office, but doctors don't, aren't always willing to do the tests that you know, will give us a a full picture of what's going on. But in your book, you have a really nice hormone quiz that could sort of indicate what might be going on with your hormones um, in terms of your thyroid and insulin resistance, cortisol, uh, excess um, estrogen or low progesterone. And then you give us some um, sort of hacks and, and tips in terms of, supplements and, um, food that we can eat sort of help bring things back into balance. And I was wondering, because I tend to have issues with, with, um, well, serotonin, yes, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but cortisol, um, I I tend to be low cortisol. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how cortisol, the role it plays for women with PCOS and maybe, Um, and give us some idea of what signs are for low cortisol and what signs are for high cortisol to look for. Sure. Yeah.
1: The quiz that's in the book is available at my website and at the Sarah and Dr. So betterbydrbrook.com or com. That exact quiz is there. Oh, it's free. So you can, anybody can take that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, cortisol is the other blood sugar hormone, right? So if you've got PCOS, um, to some degree, you have some issues with insulin. Obviously some of us have that more severe than others, which I know your listeners are aware that PCOS has many faces, right? And many hormonal, um, imbalanced faces as well. So women with PCOS, you know, we struggle with blood sugar one way or the other typically, and cortisol is the other piece of that. So even, you know, taking aside just life stress and things like that, when your blood sugar is up and down, that's a stress and cortisol is going to get involved. And then you layer in, of course, any other biochemical stresses, and some of the biggest ones for women with PCOS are thyroid imbalances, gut infections, um, estrogen dominance, inflammation, essential fatty acid balance, any host of nutrient deficiencies, electrolyte imbalances, you know, all of those things um, are stress, biochemical stresses as well, and we tend to have you know, just pretty much everything on that list that I just rattled off. And then of course there's the lifestyle stress and how we're exercising and are we getting enough sleep? So for most women with PCOS, there's usually some degree of cortisol involvement and sometimes it's high and sometimes it's low. The high cortisol insulin resistance combo is a tough one. It's going to make all of the PCOS stuff worse. It's going to make the insulin resistance and the inflammation worse. And we tend to see, you know, puffiness or inflammation and cortisol is funny because acutely it's anti-inflammatory, but most of us are not dealing with acute high cortisol. We're dealing with that chronic calling upon it way too many times a day, every day for a long period of time. So, you know, we've got this chronic cortisol release and it tends to affect our sleep. We tend to not be able to fall asleep and unwind very easily. We might feel tired. And then back to the inflammation, you know, in time that gets worse. We feel puffy. We feel sore. We feel achy. We tend to feel tired and achy in the morning, and then we tend to have a hard time, you know, balancing our blood sugar through the day, we tend to crave, you know, fattier, sugary, carby foods, all the stuff you know is not going to make your stress (laughs) or your insulin resistance any better, Um, but so we tend to be low energy, higher cravings, and then difficulty falling asleep. Low cortisol um, can either kind of come with adrenal issues, or it can develop because you're having lots of blood sugar problems because of insulin resistance and PCOS, or it could just come from going through a you know period of, of stress. And so those symptoms tend to be, you know, I, from what I see with women with PCOS and adrenal issues, it tends to be the hardest blood sugar problem to control because you have trouble if you eat let's say for low cortisol which people would tell you to eat frequently eat more carbohydrate that tends to exacerbate the other side of the coin the insulin resistance so that tends to not work very well for for that other side of it because with the low cortisol you have a harder time keeping your blood sugar up. You're going to see symptoms between meals, like feeling hangry, feeling irritable, cranky, lightheaded, craving lots of carbs, not able to go very long um, without eating, possibly, um, you know, f- more frequent waking in the night if you're not able to keep your blood sugar up. So the low cortisol and low—I'm sorry—low cortisol and insulin resistance combo is the toughest because you have to honor that low cortisol first because that's what I what's on the top of my hormone hierarchy. If we don't, you know, deal with low cortisol and low thyroid first and just treat ourselves, again, like we only have PCOS and nothing else is going on, where, again, that advice is low-carb, keto, exercise a ton, which is the exact opposite of what someone would tell you for your low cortisol, which is eat frequently, eat plenty of carbohydrate, so, and don't exercise too much. You want to do some yoga and some walking and nothing more strenuous. So it's a, it's a real conflicting um, bit of information for women that have this issue, but yet if we don't deal with it, just doing some of the PCOS stuff can be really frustrating, so in this case, what I recommend is we honor them both, but make sure that we are really attuned to that low cortisol first, so I tend to start women, you know, in this like maybe four meals a day, five can really exacerbate the insulin issues, and you might need you know a teeny smattering of carbohydrate, like a little bit a few bites at every meal versus a big serving at every meal, whereas maybe someone with just insulin resistance can do just starch at night or they could even do something more extreme, like a keto diet or a very low carb diet and I find that that kind of making sure we honor them both that tends to be the combo, hopefully while you are dealing with the um, low cortisol issue what's driving all that stress what's causing you to be so wiped out is it infection lifestyle you know what is it that's going on and hopefully heal that a little bit so we don't need to be on such a tightrope with your blood sugar
0: yeah great advice and and your book goes into much more detail on to how to to treat those issues and more um, one one of the the um, sections of the book that really kind of struck my interest was your discussion about GABA and serotonin, and I think that a lot of women with PCOS struggle with low levels of, of mm-hmm. both of those, and I was um, hoping that you could talk a little bit more about it for our listeners.
1: Yeah, so When you think about all of your neurotransmitters, you know, we get in real quick to like, well, what can I take, right? So we know that tyrosine will boost dopamine and tryptophan or 5-HTP, St. John's wort, those things will boost serotonin. Um, But what we want to always remember when it comes to neurotransmitters, insulin has a role in this and it helps drive the amino acids from your food. So let's say you ate some chicken or some turkey and it's got some tryptophan in it, but you need to get that tryptophan into your nervous system, into your brain in order to be produced into serotonin. And that's going to be driven by healthy blood sugar and by insulin balance. So if you think you have any neurotransmitter imbalances, one of the first things you want to do is make sure we're managing your blood sugar, which all goes back to what I just talked about with, you know, insulin and cortisol. So that's a really important thing, I think, for women with PCOS or all women, you know, we get so into, you know, exciting things like in keto or CrossFit or whatever is like the new or orange theory, whatever's like the new hot uh, trend or now the carnivore diet, right? That's the new nutrition trend. Or And then we get focused on that and we forget just the basics of what's actually working for your physiology right now for you to balance your blood sugar, right? So we want to make sure blood sugar balance is really in line anytime we're wondering about having um, neurotransmitter issues. So GABA and serotonin tend to be some of our calming kind of feel good neurotransmitters. When we don't have enough of them, we feel anxious. Um, With serotonin, we can feel depressed. So with GABA, again, very reliant on balanced blood sugar. So do that first. And if you are having symptoms of low GABA, you tend to feel more anxious. You can feel almost like a sense of dread at times, and this anxiety and dread doesn't really have a reason. Like, I just actually had a super stressful phone call with my daughter's school about registration next year, but so that's a reason for me to feel anxious, right? This dread with GABA deficiency tends to be, or anxiety with it, tends to be sort of for no reason. You're sort of finding yourself, like, Feeling anxious and upset and not in my stomach, and I'm not really sure why. Um, You can also feel a little bit disconnected from other people when GABA is low, and certainly have a hard time sleeping. With serotonin, we tend to have some depression. Um, It's not so much like a dopamine depression, and you didn't really ask me about dopamine, but I'm going to talk about that one too because they both can make us feel depressed. So, serotonin depression is a sort of a flat affect where you don't go up and down a lot, you're down. You're not super, super down, but you're down. It can be worse in overcast weather. You lose appreciation for the things you used to love, like maybe you used to love painting or biking or whatever. Just none of it really makes you feel as happy as it used to. Um, it can also give you some cravings for, for sugars, and I think a lot of those things just, again, are driven by your body Trying to get that blood sugar balanced and and you know boost things up uh, serotonin depression again it's kind of the blues where you're down and um, you almost could feel guilty about it like you know my life's pretty good i don't know why i don't feel happier whereas a dopamine depression dopamine is one of our uppers so it's one of our real um, you know it's about focus and motivation I can to do with drive, sex drive, organization, being able to kind of like wrangle your thoughts, um, short-term memory, and that kind of a depression when we don't have enough dopamine can be a bit more up and down versus that flat nature of low serotonin. But when you have your down days, they're really down. You can feel kind of hopeless, like nothing's ever going to get better. And um, I see women with PCOS having all kinds of neurotransmitter imbalances in part because, you know, we are dealing with blood sugar. So that's one of the biggest ones. Inflammation is another real cross to bear when we have PCOS. It's one of the, you know, root causes of this condition. And inflammation will always make all of our hormone imbalances worse, but definitely is not great for our brain. So that's going to be another, you know, factor that drives some of these neurotransmitter imbalances. Some women with PCOS have high prolactin. And prolactin and dopamine have a completely opposite relationship where when prolactin's high, dopamine is going to be low. This can be at least a component, like of postpartum issues when we've got high prolactin if we're breastfeeding. Um, So those are a couple of ways that PCOS really gets involved in our neurotransmitter imbalance. And yet another one is... So um, so serotonin is derived from tryptophan, but tryptophan can go down the pathway to make serotonin, or it can also go down an inflammatory pathway to make something called cyanurate. And that is driven, you know, that process is turned on higher when we have a lot of estrogen dominance, which can happen with PCOS because of the low progesterone, so we just have an imbalance there, an unhealthy gut, a lot of things can drive um, our estrogen and progesterone to be imbalanced, and we can have poor estrogen detoxification, and that can be another thing that really drives down serotonin, so if you're wondering, like, what do I do, I've got PCOS, I've definitely got some anxiety, depression, sleep issues, first and foremost, you know, tackle the blood sugar, um, again, in a way that honors all of your hormones, including your cortisol, and not just um, the insulin issues, and tackle some inflammation, and those are going to go a long way, and then I would look at some of those other things, like possibly prolactin, possibly estrogen dominance, Um, and of course, you know, with mood stuff, we always want to get our thyroid checked as well, because one of the main symptoms of low
0: thyroid is a low mood. So this is all really helpful information. I don't know if you know the the statistic that 60% of women with PCOS have some mood related disorder, whether it's anxiety or depression or, or both. And I think what you're saying is that, um, you know, that the cause of those issues can be different and you, I think you need to get to the root and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, once you've kind of got your insulin, um, resistance under control and, um, your, you know, your thyroid is checked and, um, you have you know, some of these other, what you, you had mentioned, under control, then, do you think that that most functional medicine practitioners can help you fine-tune?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, when you've got a condition as nuanced as this, and quite, you know, quite honestly, misunderstood, right, you, you hear some crazy things, even from functional medicine practitioners and alternative medicine practitioners about um, PCOS, like, one of my dear friends, trusted colleague continues to call PCOS a lifestyle issue that we're just going to sort out by eating less carbs. And you know, as we know, this goes a lot deeper than that. So, yeah, I think, you know, functional medicine is, of course, going to be, give you a way better, broader look, right, at all of your hormones and a bigger picture view of how's your digestion, how's your detoxification of hormones. Um, we've got, you know, tests that can sort out the cortisol rhythm and give you even more right. insight versus just, you know, going off symptoms um, like you would do with my quiz. So, but then finding someone who's, like, a little more versed in PCOS can also be, of course, really helpful because then that's someone who's going to understand, you know, more of these nuanced things. But yeah, when you can get to the cause, and again, if you're someone just new to it, then you're going to want to start with the basics of insulin and inflammation. And if you're someone who's like, I feel like I've got that dialed in, like you said, what do I need to do next? And yeah, working with someone who can help you kind of get on top of those, that, you know, the mm-hmm. metabolism of hormones and understanding that that bigger picture of all the stuff that has to go on and that big interplay.
0: So speaking of getting dialed in, you know, I, I realized recently that you know, as even though I was hydrating enough, I was drinking you know a lot of water during my day, but I realized that I was missing electrolytes, and uh, you know, I started by drinking more mineral water, um, you know, adding a little like Himalayan salt to my water. And then when I started using electrolytes, I really noticed a difference in kind of my en- um, energy levels for sure. And I was so pleasantly surprised to see that you talked about that in your book. So I was wondering if you could share more about the benefits of electrolytes for women with PCOS.
1: Yeah, electrolytes are a game changer, right? It's so simple, but I think it's one of those ones that so many women are like, that's you know, I think there's a lot of supplements that we take that we're like, yeah, I feel a little better. I, I know I should based on my lab work, but it's not like, you know, when people take a cup of coffee and they're like, okay, I feel different than that. But electrolytes are one of those ones It actually is like, okay, I immediately see an improvement and definitely notice when we, when we don't do it. So there's a couple of reasons why uh, women with PCOS, like we're mineral leakers, right? We've got insulin issues and inflammation. We tend to be peeing out a lot of our B vitamins and our minerals. So you know the more imbalanced your blood sugar is obviously the worse that is is going to be but yeah PCOS women i think all of us should probably be on um you know a great electrolyte formula and the sea salt is a good place to start but that's only going to give us the sodium so when you think about low adrenals which is or, and low cortisol that's another absolute condition you know that absolutely needs um more electrolytes so if you're someone dealing with you know amy like you were saying some adrenal issues and PCOS, then electrolytes are going to be like a must-have supplement. And sea salt or salt in the water might be a good place to start, but it's not going to give you especially the potassium, which is the other mineral that we're losing. So there's, you know, um, between the low cortisol and just having PCOS, that's, you know, no wonder that you feel so much better. I'm definitely in that, in that same camp. And there could be other reasons, you know, whether it's how you're training, um, histamine issues can cause us to have a bit of an irritable bladder and peeing more frequently. And anything that causes us to sweat, sweat more than we were, or urinate more than we were can be a real quick way to, you know, lose some electrolytes. And so a good, well-rounded formula, I think, is that kind of eye-opening like holy smokes i feel so much better um but sea salt of course is a place to start
0: Mm -hmm. and and i offer the electrolyte formula that i use um in my store now i call it revive and it tastes it has kind of like a orange lemon taste it's really light um and it's easy to drink but it 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 also i find helps me with my sugar cravings too Mm -hmm. i don't have them as much when i take it
1: yeah, it's a real, like I said, it's kind of a life-changing uh, formula for women with PCOS. And I think we can hardly ever go wrong adding more magnesium, right? So, you know, oh I know there's magnesium in your formula. And so a good, well-rounded electrolyte, it's simple, it tastes good, it gets you to drink another glass of water, right, because you're putting that in. Um, yeah, it was. it's really um, an important one and often, you know, again, missed. And if you've got any adrenal issues, it's going to be even more important for you.
0: So I wanted you to talk a little bit about um, your diet plan in the book and the importance of vegetables. And I think some people might be a little surprised by the amount, like, because you actually kind of give an amount of veggies you want people eating a day. But, um, you know, I think that this is one of the, the, the first things that we need to do to start feeling better with PCOS. So, so tell us about your, your veggie protocol and a little bit more about your diet plan.
1: Yeah, so the um, if you know my co-author, Sarah Fergoso, her work, she started off um, as a huge advocate of paleo. She was one of the first women on the paleo scene, and she had that transformation where, you know, she started training differently, going, you know, grain-free, went paleo, skies parted, she lost weight, life was amazing, of course, until it wasn't, um, because it's one of those you know, nutrition strategies, that was a really great place for her to start, but there was other things she needed to address, so what we, and I found as well, when I first started working with women, um, and with my own PCOS, you know, I sort of stumbled upon the paleo diet when I was in school at Bastyr, and you know, we had a vegetarian cafeteria, like this was not really the way that I was eating with all of this meat, I didn't dislike it, it just wasn't, really wasn't in the construct of what natural health was, especially at the time but I wasn't doing great. Like, my PCOS was definitely not great. I had a lot of stress, but I was also eating, you know, foods that were really aggravating me, um, you know, kind of based on this little nutrition bubble that I was in at Bastia. So I discovered paleo dieting kind of around that time and ancestral health. And it was a miracle for me as well. There's some things that happened in time, which again, you know, I think as women, we need to, and women with PCOS, we have multiple hormone issues kind of going on at the same time. You know, again, we've usually got insulin issues and some cortisol issues and oftentimes a thyroid issue, some estrogen, progesterone imbalance. And we might find what works for us, but then something happens. You go through more stress, you get a bigger cortisol issue or it trips a thyroid issue or you go through a pregnancy, or perimenopause, or some sort of new diagnosis, or just a period of high stress, and so we have to continue to be able to check in, and kind of take what has always worked for us, and be take an honest look at it like, oh, this isn't working anymore, right? And I need to make some adjustments. So what I found when I was like a hardcore paleo person, um, it managed my PCOS really well because it was low, I was pretty low carb. And then in time, you know, other stuff creeps up and it's really easy to have that diet be a very low vegetable, low plant diet and just eat a lot of meat. Um, It's easy for that diet to be really high in animal fat. And if we're not careful, we might be eating animal fat or animal products that aren't from a great source, and that can really wreak havoc on our estrogen balance. So we talk about that a lot in the book, That ha- the importance of kind of maybe that paleo base, but really, you know, watching fat for women, animal fat, and making sure we do enough plant-based fat and not all bacon, right? Not all bacon and cheeseburgers, or I guess it wouldn't be cheeseburgers on paleo, but bacon and, you know, higher fat cuts of meat, because those... POPs, those persistent organic pollutants that get kind of locked into fat cells, so many of them are have estrogen activity or somehow disrupt our thyroid or a microbiome, and so we really want to be careful that we do as you know, good of a job as we can with the quality of our animal fats to lessen that burden, but also I find most women, especially as we get a little bit older, um, do better with a little less animal fat and a little more plant fat, so just to fine-tune the more you know, estrogen dominance or estrogen-progesterone imbalances you have, you know, the worse some of those those issues can be. So our diet, as Sarah and I worked together, we sort of collaborated on um, what we found to work best for women, became sort of this paleo-Mediterranean hybrid. So there was plenty of animal protein. There was some animal fat, but there was a lot of plant fat, lots of olive oil, some of those things, avocado olives, coconut, and then loads of vegetables. So we actually advocate a pound of vegetables a day, which tends to seem like a lot to some of us. Um, But again, that's going to be kind of the other piece of balancing estrogen because, again, many women with PCOS have some estrogen dominance issues, some estrogen metabolism issues, and, you know, the fiber in vegetables is going to keep our get bacteria healthy. It's going to help with the estrogen and progesterone issues. It's fiber, so it's going to, you know, help balance our blood sugar. And it's full of all those phytonutrients, which again, just kind of fills in all the holes of, you know, the different parts of your metabolism that need all of these different, you know, zinc and those antioxidants and those phytochemicals. So to me, a paleo diet should be a plant-based diet. It shouldn't be a vegetarian diet, but it should be a plant-based diet. So we're getting out a lot of um, immune aggravators by kind of avoiding some of the things that are commonly avoided on paleo, like dairy and grains and legumes and soy. But we kind of turned it on its ear a little bit and shifted where the fat was coming from and really advocate for a lot of high, you know, high plant intake, high vegetable
0: mm-hmm. intake. Yeah, I think this is where you can really take back control of your hormones when you feel sort of helpless. This is something that you can do every day to really make a, a tremendous impact in the way that you feel just by choosing what you put on your your plate. And and I really liked your your plan and I thought your recipes looked great. There's you've got a how many recipes do you have in there? There's, there's,
1: quite a few. few. Well, Sarah's a five-time best-selling cookbook author, so she's fabulous in the kitchen and she knows what she's doing. And, um, you know, I think part of asking a woman to up her game with her nutrition, you know, it takes... It takes some time. It usually takes a little more money, right? You might be buying organic. You might be buying grass-fed beef, and it's time. And especially if you're expecting the rest of your family to eat it, um, and for you not to get bored and to not feel like this is just something I can do for thirty days, but this is like a life transition I can make. It's got to taste good. So yeah, we're very lucky <laughs> that that I have such amazing recipes from from Sarah and a couple yeah. other things we really wanted to do with nutrition plan is most of us if you know you're taking your time to listen to this podcast you're taking the time to read this book and make some of these changes you know we still want it to be easy right there's only so many hours in the day that you're gonna have to devote to your health and so having one of the things that we really wanted to do was have a meal that could easily go into multiple meals so taking one recipe And turning it into four different things over the course of three days so that you only cooked once, but you didn't have to, but you got to eat several different things and to kind of also... So many of us are not getting enough protein at breakfast, right? And that just sets us up for more blood sugar problems, more cravings, worse energy, harder to regulate appetite for the rest of the day. And so wanting to give women something else to do in the morning besides just eggs, right? That's kind of our only, or maybe a protein shake. We tend to not really get outside of that breakfast box very easily. So we had breakfast salad recipes, breakfast soup recipes. So really trying to solve some of the problems that make, um, doing what we need to do a little bit easier
0: yeah another um problem that you address is mindset in your book and we're um we're kind of running out of time but I was hoping that you could leave us with one of your favorite mindset shifts around um you know balancing your hormones and taking better and restoring your joy
1: Yeah, well, that was kind of our goal of the book, right? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. we just see all these women spending so much time and money at the gym and working on their health, but they're still unhappy, right? And maybe they're doing all the things. Uh, But if you're not, taking some time to express who you are, to do the things that you love, to do things just for play, just for the sake of it. Like, what's the point, right, if we're not happy? So we have in our book what we call the five pillars, and they're just, you know, foundational ideas about being more engaged in your life, being who you are, being your own best friend, committing to what works for you, you know, getting into that as a foundation to rest all this other stuff on and so we teach that throughout the book so as far as me I you know I think that there's a couple things our our second I'm sorry our first pillar is um, find and commit to what works for you and so I think some of us in this journey are trying to find what works like we're not sure if we need to be dairy free or we're not sure if we need to you know try a low histamine diet or a low FODMAP diet we're still trying to find what works for us some of us have done that work, right? Like we know, like for me as a woman with PCOS, I know that low carb, dairy-free, gluten-free, watching my stress, being committed to exercise, I know that those are things that work for me. And so what a lot of women struggle with is, how do I stay committed to that? How do I make sure that I'm able to do that and not feel overly restricted or overly miserable, right? And so for me, a big mindset shift for me with having PCOS was in my younger years, like you were saying with the running, I did the same thing, I just, didn't matter what I did at the gym, I just wanted it to make my legs smaller, and I wanted to, you know, be able to lose more weight, and, in, and that caused me to do a lot of things that really worked against my PCOS physiology, and the biggest shift for me that changed is to just embrace this PCOS body that I have, I put on muscle really easy, so I'm strong, um, you know, I, have started training in a way that kind of works with that instead of constantly trying to rail against it. And then being able to just instead of being miserable that oh, I have to be gluten free, or I don't do well when I have coffee, and I have to be committed to my sleep, and I do need to exercise regularly. It's easy to stay in the unfairness of that, like, well, my girlfriend who doesn't have PCOS doesn't have to do any of those things, she drinks wine every night, she looks great, um, and kind of minding my own business about, well, this is what my physiology is, and when I work with it, instead of just constantly trying to change it, I am much less anxious and stressed about it, I'm much more at peace, and also I'm not doing anything, you know, for the sake of weight loss that makes my hormones, you know, less healthy.
0: That's great advice. I know you you talk a little bit about that in more detail, too, in our podcast together. Number 60, How to Balance PCOS Exercise and Hormones. And your book title, again, is Hangry, Five Simple Steps to Balance Your Hormones and Restore Your Joy. And it's going to be available June 4th, uh, everywhere books are sold. And I'm really encouraging everybody to pick up a copy because you don't you know, you don't not only get the, all of the fabulous recipes, but um, those five pillars that you just touched upon, I think really powerful mindset shifts, which is such an important part of um, it it really taking on your PCOS. um, For sure. and, And Dr. Brooke, thank you so much for being such an advocate for, for women with PCOS. I know that's something that you talk about a lot, on your blog, Um, maybe you could just tell us where we can find out more about the work that you do. Yeah, and
1: so Hangry was not a, um, you know, just a PCOS book, but there obviously is a lot of information about PCOS because I, (laughs) it's what I specialize in, and I think it's a unique condition that deserves, you know, some real extra care and attention. Um, So you can find me on social media at Better by Dr. Brooke, um, Facebook and Instagram, and that is also my website. I do also have um, the Sarah and Dr. Brooke Show is my podcast with Sarah, and our new website is sarahanddrbrooke.com, and if you go to that website and you pre-order the book, there are, or even after the book comes out and you order the book, there are 17 bonuses. Um, You can get a beautiful printout of those five pillars. Um, We've got more stress management tools. There's some great videos with Sarah in the kitchen, like some tips to make this easier. She does that. We have a video of that exact thing where we took one recipe and she turned it into five things. So again, cooking once, getting multiple meals. And I did four webinars and I did one entire webinar on PCOS. So if it's something you want to, you know, kind of learn more about the other hormones and the interconnectedness of your PCOS to your other hormones, that's one of the free bonuses. So you can get all those at sarahanddrbrook.com.
0: Oh, that sounds so great. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for writing your book. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And I look forward to being with you again very soon. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCUS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCUSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.